Welcome to the Church Times podcast. Try 10 issues for £10 or two months access to our website and apps also for £10. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash new hyphen reader. Archdeacon Rick Simpson, welcome to the Church Times podcast. Thank you, Ed. Nice to be here. And you've written an article in this week's Peter Tide issue of the Church Times about title curacies, titled Where Are the Rocks and How Do You Steer Around Them? But we'll talk about some of the specific issues that can arise a bit later and, and how they can be resolved. But first, I'd just like to ask you if you could cast your mind back to your own title curacy and, and how that went. And were there any issues that arose that um, you'd think about now? I can cast my mind back, but it's quite a long way back. Uh, it was sometime in the late Jurassic, I think. Um, <laughs> but actually, things have changed. That's the point. So um, the article I wrote, which is kind of based on the work I used to do as an IME officer for the diocese um, and some research as well, all of that now presumes a whole framework of how curacy should be managed and how supervision should work. And some of that was tacit back in my curacy, but not not much was explicit. Um, so my curacy probably lacked some of the formal boundaries and processes um, that I would be recommending now. But I had a very genial boss, my training incumbent, uh, a lovely man, and the relationship was therefore good and relationships crucial. But I guess I'd be recommending some different infrastructure these days than what was presumed back then. Uh, some people might say that whether a title curacy works out would come down to the chemistry or lack of it between the curate and the training incumbents. I mean, what do you think of that? Is that is that too simplistic? Uh, it's one of the factors. Um, if, if by chemistry we mean whether people get on uh, and if getting on with each other is part of character, wow, that's really important. Of course, there can be two people of great character who just don't seem to hit it off. And that can happen. That that strikes me as a pure chemistry issue, but I think it's quite rare. I think more important, probably, uh, no, definitely more important, is the way you go about the curacy from both sides, both curate and incumbent, uh, approaching it with an appropriate level of professionalism, uh, putting in place the things that you need for a healthy working and training relationship. I've honestly come to believe through a fair bit of experience, that's way more important than chemistry. I think the pure chemistry breakdowns are pretty rare, to be honest, Ed. Sure. And is it the much time to prepare when people are assigned a curacy or choosing a curacy? Is there that time to sort of do some thinking beforehand about how it's going to work? Yeah, there definitely should be. Um, colleges and courses uh, are more and more attuned to that, and they should be uh, helping ordinance to think about it. Um, a lot of them actually invite training incumbents to come to meet their prospective colleague um, and do some work with them. Um, but dioceses also should definitely be helping them do this. Um, so I'm sure there's a variety of practice around the country, but in my own diocese of Durham now, I know that uh, we ask incumbents and curates to be actively discussing with each other in the final months of college or course, how they plan to work together. We actually ask them to draw up their working agreements and their training plan in those final months before ordination. So they should hit the ground running with real mutual clarity about the work that's expected, the training that's expected, how they're gonna be supported, how often they'll meet for supervision, all that stuff. And I think that makes perfect sense and is really good practice. Is there much conversation, much effort to fit someone theologically with who might be a with a, an training incumbent who would be in their sort of tradition or is that not always possible? I'm sure it's always taken into consideration very seriously. 
that doesn't necessarily mean that um, always people will go to uh, a title parish or a title incumbent, if you like, um, that's their own flavour. There might be really good reasons not to. So uh, some Ordinands actually want a wider experience and ask for it. Um, that was my own situation. I wanted to experience traditions in the church that I hadn't directly, which was quite challenging, but also extremely useful. Sometimes it's very clear it's not going to work well unless there is enough similarity of tradition. So that stuff needs to be taken into account. It, it would be really daft of a diocese to place somebody in a situation which is out of their comfort zone and their experience, unless there's really good reason to do that. I mean, I'm not a DDO, so I'm not directly involved in those discussions. But if there was going to be a curacy where there's a significant change in that curious experience, I, I think I'd want both parties to be really aware of the challenges that might present as well as the opportunities and to have discussed that. Yeah. Let me move on to some of the areas that you identify where there can be possible tension. I mean, the first is levels of support, responsibility and autonomy. I mean, is it quite hard to find a balance between support for a curate, but also giving them enough autonomy? Yeah, it certainly can be. And obviously curates come into ordained ministry, public ministry at all sorts of stages of life, uh, younger, older, bringing really significant life experience uh, from other fields of work or not, or from working in the church in other capacities or not. And so their, their levels of experience and expertise in different areas of ministry will vary enormously. Um, and you might get somebody who's really competent in loads of stuff. You might get somebody with huge potential but little experience. And most of the time you get a bit of both. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, that that's why I think, again, it's so important for the curate and incumbent to work out a really clear training plan, kind of in draft over the three or four years of the curacy and in detail for each coming year, to say, here, these are the things we're gonna do. And some of these things you're really brilliant at, and that'd be great because you'll help us out in the parish. Um, others, this will be really new. And in the really new stuff, I think it's very important. There's regular reflection on what, you know, the work that's been done. How did you think that went? What would you do differently? Did you happen to notice these things that I did? Oh, you didn't? Oh, well, think about that then. Um, and, and so it goes. But you need that flexibility to realise the different areas where someone needs more support or not. And you can, of course, you can get it wrong on each side. But curates who are able in some areas who feel kind of suffocated and not able to offer, that's really frustrating. Um, but also, as I said in the article, being thrown in the deep end, that, that's that's not a good feeling either. So again, it, it sounds obvious because it sort of is really, but careful discussion before, during and after each piece of work, making sure you're getting those levels right. Uh, yeah. That's the key, I think. And I, I wonder if also in, in the mix is is the role of if there are self-supporting ministers in the congregation or um, uh, licensed lay ministers, um, does there need to be a conversation about how much you know responsibility the curate has? Can those people ever see it as a something of a threat to have a, a curate on board when they may have been doing a lot yeah. you know, before? Uh, yeah, they really can. And I think this is often underestimated. Um, do you remember that fantastic series, uh, Rev, mm, yeah. um, BBC sitcom? It's so obvious that Nigel, the reader, when the curate turns up, is so cross about it and yeah. so unhappy. Um, and, you know, it's overplayed, but actually not massively exaggerated. That can be going on. So again, when I'm doing training for training incumbents, I always ask them to think really carefully about what the current balance of kind of relationship and work is between team members and what displacement is going to be affected by giving a curate the opportunities to grow in ministry. And that does that does need thinking through it and needs talking through with those other colleagues or it could could go Nigel, it could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, indeed. I was also just thinking if there's a, um, 
and you know a vacancy arises where the, the draining incumbent might decide to move on during the curacy and that I mean that must be an example of being thrown in the deep end but for the curate I can be I mean what shouldn't happen is the curate gets treated as sort of you know new vicar yeah. in all but name he, I guess we know that officially the church wardens have responsibility when there's a vacancy and all that of course in reality curates often then do get more responsibility certainly communication needs to go through them careful preparation for a vacancy and it then can be actually really positive for curate so so I did a nearly four-year curacy and the last year um, my vicar actually retired during that time which I knew he would I was really helpful because I had to step up in some areas. I had to work well with the wardens and the standing committee. Uh, I learned loads from that. And I, I didn't actually feel thrown in the deep end because it was carefully prepared. And it was kind of one of the most helpful bits of my curacy, weirdly. If it had happened 18 months in rather than two and a half years in, I don't think it would have yeah. been. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot harder. But, but no, it can be prepared for. It can be, can be all right. Yeah. And then the second area you talk about supervision, feedback and formation. Um, and one thing that arises that you, you write about is that some, some curates say they don't get enough time with their incumbent, perhaps for the sort of supervision and feedback that they feel they need. Yeah, um, I mean, I think this is really, really simple uh, in theory and quite hard in practice. But I did some research um, before I originally wrote my growth booklet, which has just, just been reissued. Mm -hmm. And I decided to research curacies where both parties thought it was going really well and uh, endlessly a consistent factor was regular supervision which was felt to be a useful meeting but the curates and incumbents I interviewed for, for that work recognized there was a real discipline to actually get the supervision meetings in the diary and then stick to them I mean it depends where you are your parish situation or whatever but a ministry can be very reactive it can be very yeah. busy so there are a thousand and one reasons you can always cancel supervision um, and not just on the incumbent side curates can play this too and if it gets cancelled kind of often and not immediately rearranged, that's when unhappiness often really creeps in. So, so when I was an IME officer and often dealing with an unhappy curate or incumbent, the most regular cause of unhappiness, bar none, was, wasn't chemistry, wasn't theology. It was, we don't meet often enough. That sense is simple. Sure. And it, and it says it's not just the meeting being cancelled or postponed, it's the fact that it then never happens because there's been a, a funeral to take or a pastoral. Crisis. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. So, so I think regularity supervision um, along the lines you've agreed with each other, and you know, I would advise for, certainly for a full-time curate, first year, weekly. You, you know, you need to meet regularly yeah. to reflect and plan and support and, and all that. Um, so that is the most consistent feature of a happy curacy, and the most consistent feature of an unhappy one is it going wrong. Um, and the other thing which I mentioned in the article is if if supervision doesn't happen for whatever reason the very safety valve that you've got um, for dealing with difficulties, you've then removed because <laughs> you yeah. haven't got a chance to sit down and say, we don't meet often enough because we're not meeting often yeah. enough. Yeah, so that's the most important feature, I think. And, and when feedback is given, I mean, the, the curate needs to receive that feedback and um, not, I mean, get kind of be cases where somebody disagrees with the feedback or is, it becomes defensive. Yeah, that, that's good. that can certainly happen. And um, it's never easy getting critical feedback even if it's constructively critical feedback offered in a kind of loving way it's never very easy and a lot of stuff in ministry feels really personal because you put your heart and soul into it yeah. so if someone's given birth to this perfect sermon they thought and and then find that it wasn't quite as perfect as as they thought in the hearing of others that's that's not easy but again i think that's why it's so important to have 
a clear understanding, mutual understanding that we meet together regularly to reflect on the stuff that you've done. And in that meeting, it's part of what we need to do together to review what was good in it, what didn't work so well necessarily, and to develop your kind of own critical faculties towards yourself so that when you're beyond curiosity, you can still actually go, mm, I wasn't on my best today, you know. Right. <laughs> but I think all that stuff needs really explicit agreement, Ed, so that both curate and incumbent know this is a space where we will have these discussions. And actually, you know, if whatever event it was you led was a stinker, we need to actually review that and the reasons why. So we learn from it. Now, I think if that's explicit and and you've looked each other in the whites of the eyes and said, yes, we're going to have these conversations together, that's so much easier than both parties being a little bit tentative and worried about it. And then the first time the incumbent says, that wasn't your best sermon, it goes down really badly. So again, prepare for it, decide how you're going to do it, be really clear that this, this is what we do in this space. We have these discussions. And the next area is vocation, professionalism and life balance. And mm-hmm. I'm just interested in... The, the boundaries between work and leisure. I mean, you, you there's you write about an incumbent who phoned a curate about a routine work matter during a holiday. Presumably, that's an example. It's not an example of best practice when it comes to boundaries. Yeah, I think it's interesting, isn't it? There is some kind of culture shift going on within the Church of England, and has been for years, and will be for a bit longer. And that this will oversimplify it, but it's something to do with a, a view of ministry which was all about vocation, sacrifice, and a whole kind of life. And on the other hand, a view which is, this is a profession which needs boundaries. Uh, We have professional guidelines for the conduct of the clergy now, sorry, guidelines for the professional conduct of the clergy. There's guidance on what makes for well-being or not. Now, these two worlds are not necessarily completely compatible, but, but they come from some different mindset in a way, or there are certainly tensions to be worked out between those things. So that makes it, I think, quite tricky because we've got clergy who have different assumptions often unspoken about what ministerial life looks like what leisure looks like how you boundary it so how many hours is it appropriate for a full-time minister to work in a week it's not in their working agreement or their role description because we're not employed we're on common tenure it's all up for negotiation so it is a tricky one and I, i think as i said in the article there is possibly more of a sense no definitely um on on average more of a sense of a need for boundaries and regular time off with younger clergy coming through than some of the older clergy who might be their supervisors so that stuff's got to be worked out and um, for those curates who so you know, come later in life to ordination and they might have had a career in, in a much in a secular context within clear working hours you know contractual obligations mm. i mean can it be more difficult to navigate that because they might be used to having quite clear boundaries uh, yes, it can be. Uh, sometimes people who come from a different working background are qu- quite bemused when they arrive in ministry. What? <laughs> How does this work? And of course, it works very much by negotiation and working out your levels and boundaries with each other. So yes, I think that can be difficult. Having said that, it's it's also fair to say that some people who come from uh, work which is very regulated and time-bound just love the flexibility mm-hmm. of you know well we kind of decide between us what the diary looks like week by week they just love it and of course there's the personality thing thrown into the mix you know some people thrive on um a diary with half hour segments all filled yeah. and other people feel trapped and constrained by that yeah. <laughs> so all of that's in the mix as well <laughs> sure you also write about leadership um i was interested in what you wrote about there can be tensions around understandings of leadership um 
and you might get particularly i guess with with curates who've, who've had careers in other fields they, they might think that they might have quite strong ideas as to how a church should be led and they might mm. let the incumbent know that and does that not always <laughs> go down well i mean th- this was the more speculative but speculative bit of the article to be honest but it comes out of some discussion with some curates some incumbents and actually some people involved in theological education some dioceses, not all, have experienced more tension in curacies in the last few years. Okay, now, undoubtedly, one of the reasons for that is if you want su- successful curacies, try to avoid global pandemics. That's definitely there because that hasn't helped. You know, some curacies started and they couldn't even meet curates yeah. and incumbents. That didn't help. But some of us thought there was someone else perhaps going on as well, and no doubt it's many things. And I do wonder whether one area is this leadership area. You know, there's there's no doubt. And unless people are not noticing what's happening in the world, there's no doubt we're struggling in the church in some ways. Many churches are struggling not to decline. And leadership is seen as a key quality in healthy and growing churches. So theological education institutions are stressing it more. So I, I, I do just wonder whether if you're critiquing the leadership of the church in the last couple of decades, which we should do, you know, we need to learn, we need to change. And if you're emphasising leadership and training people as leaders, if they then arrive in a parish, not as the leader, but by definition as an assistant curate, well, that could that could be a recipe for the pot- potential tension here. Um, now, I think, again, curates and incumbents together need to handle that and probably name that stuff. But if a curate arrived full of ideas of how things shouldn't be done and they saw what they thought shouldn't be done and just said so, that that could be tricky. That's what I was thinking at. Sure. <laughs> I mean, is, is it helpful for an incumbent to see this as an opportunity and be open to somebody who's just been, you know, he may have worked at and led at another field and may have been learning the latest leadership theory. So there's so, so certain humility needed there to say, what do you think I could do better? Or is that too much to ask? I think tentatively, yes. Um, Yes, because, of course, there will be things for incumbents to learn from younger colleagues or colleagues who might not even be younger, but are are coming to public ministry later on. Um, Yes, there will be. And I really hope training incumbents would be open to that. And I hope they build the relationship that makes it possible for that more mutual learning to take place. But the hesitation you'll have heard in my voice with every phrase there is, as long as it's understood up front that the kind of... um, the modus operandus here needs to be the training incumbent has responsibility for this person's training. Um, if there's some learning the other way as well, that's great. But it's not set up as a peer-to-peer. Um, and I've sometimes seen curates and incumbents kind of want to set it up that way. And I go, no, 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 guys, you can't do this. Um, if you grow into that more mutual relationship, that's great. But you need to make sure it's set up properly so that the curate is seen as their to learn with the incumbent and from the incumbent in some ways. That's the hesitation. But yes, ideally, there'd be mutual learning. Yeah. I was just, I was interested in what you write about um, resolving tensions can only be done relationally. At, at what point can it be that things have to be taken higher, that the incumbent might have to go to the bishop? I mean, should that really be a last resort to say this isn't working? Or, or that there's a clear breakdown and the curacy has to be has to be ended early? Yeah. So, um Again, my experience, and okay, I've not been an IME officer for five years now, but I was for um, about 11 years. My experience during that time is most problems arose often, at least partly because all the good practice stuff that we've just been talking about for the last 20 minutes wasn't kind of done as well as it should have been. So supervision wasn't regular or the curate never quite felt safe to say to the incumbent, I'm unhappy about something. Can we talk it through? So 
actually getting those things built in at the start is is crucial but if if there are tensions and there are bound to be some tensions because both parties really care about this there's an intensity all that stuff i i think it's really clear deal with things at the lowest level possible so as an IME officer i would sometimes have either a cure or incumbent come to me and say i'm not happy about this or that or can i talk to you about this that's totally fine but i would then say have you talked to your colleague about this and if they said well no i would say well that really must be the first step here because if i now give them a call they will think that you've gone over their head straight to me without raising it and that will undermine trust straight away so let's not do that you go and have a chat now if they have talked about it and actually one or other party then still isn't happy then they need to come and talk to me together probably as an ime officer as i was and and we'll see what we can do and again most problems if they were dealt with transparently and upfront in that way at that point we found resolution if we couldn't that normally meant that something had been done that had really hurt the other or one person really wasn't hearing the other um, about something significant if we really couldn't solve it between us sometimes i got a mediator in if it wasn't me if not then then i would go to the the bishop um the sponsoring bishop there's always one that bishop in a diocese who's got responsibility for training including curates at that point they might then meet with the sponsoring bishop, but only once we've gone up the ladder. That's the right way to do it. Uh, do it any other way, and somebody is going to feel they've been undermined by someone jumping up the tree. That's how it should be done. Of course, it, it has happened, not infrequently, that one or other does go straight up the ladder. Um, and that that creates almost a bigger problem in itself for the very reason I just said that, you know, if if, if you and I were peers and I went straight to the boss about you without talking to you, you'd be upset. It doesn't work. So that's that's why I capture that stuff. It's it's really important to um to have clear process for the processes for this, not rocket science. And now in our diocese, we actually ask curates and incumbents to sign that off at the start of the curacy. Have you read the policy for handling difficulties? Yes, I have signed tick. Because we just think it's that important that they follow those processes for everybody's well-being. Yeah. You have a growth booklet out on this if people want to yes. read more. Would you mind just give us the, the name of the booklet again? Yes, it's called uh, Supervising a Curate, a Short Guide to a Complex Task. And that's the second edition. I, I did did this about, oh, 10, 12 years ago, and we thought it was time to revise it. So that's that second edition. It's Grove Booklet P173, Great. Grove Pastoral P173. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Church Times podcast. You can find more news, analysis, comment and book reviews on our website, churchtimes.co.uk. If you are not yet a subscriber to the Church Times, you can try your first 10 issues for just £10. You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more.